We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host Gavin Phipps, and I'm joined in the studio this evening by Klaus Badenhagen. It's good to be back. And Sean Su. Also great to be back. Tonight we'll be talking about former President Ma Ying-jeou beginning his trip to China with visits to Nanjing and Wuhan, where he made statements that pleased some and irked others. Terry Guo warning against Taiwan becoming economically dependent on China and needing to push and pursue for deeper integration with the United States and Japan. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs having a rather busy week with Honduras, Ghana, Tuvalu and drones in focus and a baboon's death raising questions about animal welfare. But we'll begin with President Tsai Ing-wen departing on her first overseas trip since July of 2019 on Wednesday of this week when she jetted off to state visits to Guatemala and Belize. Her first stop though was in New York for a two-day transit. Tsai and her delegation were greeted on arriving at John F. Kennedy International Airport by the newly appointed American Institute in Taiwan chairperson Laura Rosenberger. Presidential Office Deputy Secretary General Javier Zhang told reporters that Tsai went directly to her hotel after leaving the aircraft before attending a banquet organised by overseas Taiwanese associations where she met with lots and lots of US dignitaries and lawmakers. Now speaking at that event, American Institute in Taiwan Chair Laura Rosenberger lauded Taiwan as being a global partner and said Washington will work to ensure Taiwan's meaningful participation in international forums. Tsai also delivered an address at the banquet in which she said Taiwan will continue to uphold the values of freedom and democracy while at the same time showing the world that it does not provoke or back down in the face of threats and pressure. Tsai will be flying to Guatemala tomorrow, that being Saturday, April the 1st, and on to Belize on April the 3rd, before touching down in Los Angeles on the morning of April the 5th for a transit there. And that's where it all could go pear-shaped, of course, as she's expected to meet with US House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, although neither the presidential office here in Taiwan nor McCarthy's office has yet formally confirmed that meeting. However, Beijing has still been spending much of the week issuing threats about it, saying it's closely watching Tsai's trip and will resolutely safeguard our sovereignty and territorial integrity. The White House, meanwhile, has been calling on Beijing not to use Tsai's transits in the United States as a pretext to increase aggression against Taiwan. And White House National Security spokesperson John Kirby earlier this week described Tsai's stopovers as the latest in a series of routine transits, and he said that China should not use them as any excuse to step up activity around the Taiwan Strait. So, Klaus, she jets off to America, but we're all a bit worried because things go pear-shaped. Well, first of all, I think we can all be glad that there are still a few diplomatic allies left in Latin America because without them there would be no transit opportunity and this is apparently one of the major perks that, like once in a year, um, Tsai Ing-wen has the uh, opportunity to meet with some U.S. officials on their home soil. I think it's like the seventh time she's making this trip now. Uh, as for what happened in those first few days, I think most interesting for me was to see what played out on the streets, like the demonstrations that were being staged by the Chinese side and by the Taiwanese side. They both had pretty elaborate banners printed out well in before, so was not spontaneous, but apparently the Chinese side had to pay 200 US dollars to those who participated. So um, I think... Hey, democracy in action! Yeah, and, and the rest of the world can get a good impression of how both sides are handling this. 
Yeah, uh, uh, although there are some things to be said, uh, I don't believe that China has um, the Chinese side when they protest in the states. Uh, a lot of them are retirees. Uh, it's obvious obvious that um, many of them are uh, don't seem to have a day job per se because um, you know just by looking at their ages and what have you. However, um, these associations in America uh, do show up every time. And it's the same people. They do show up every time there is an important Chinese dignitary or somebody they need to protest against. Um, and in the past, I do know that they've taken their large flags, and sometimes they try to block reporters, or you know, um, you know, with the said flags, but nothing too major that really you know is headline news. Um, as for the pro Taiwan side, uh, I did see some banners that they they printed a lot to welcome Tai Ing-wen, but also um, another sign that also mentioned. <laughs> That you know, uh, that called out China's obsession with every little thing Taiwan does, which I thought was a very prudent way to um, you know characterize yeah. the situation. You mean the one that said Taiwan, we are so awesome, even China can't stop talking about. Yeah, us. we are so great that even China can't stop talking about us with the keep Taiwan yeah, free that, that bear on this on side. Twitter. Yeah, yeah, that was a great piece. I, I like that one, and of course, it attracted a lot of a, a photographer attention for that piece. Because it really relays uh, a strong message, which is China overreacts every time. China, there, there's even a subreddit called China Warns, you know, because there isn't a week that goes by where China isn't warning some country about some action, either the United States, uh, you know, some country in Europe, or you know, what was it just a few days ago, the Czech Republic? Uh, the week after, every week there's always something. There's always new content almost every. Every three days, Germany as well. Like the minister visiting here the other day was like a monstrous act. Oh yeah, monstrous act. Big sinners. I like them using uh, uh, almost ecclesiastical like like church language that you'd see from churches. Like uh, you know, China. Taiwan one is a great sinner and things like that. I I feel like um, I need to point out that about twelve years ago, I observed that. Until 12 years ago, I did not observe any of these uh, groups that protested for China in the USA carrying American flags. Somebody eventually tipped them off, but even still, the Chinese flags are always ginormous, and they carry little token American flags side by side. None of this is a good. Look for the People's Republic of China. So, in effect, they are you know doing a good job for Tsai one in a way, uh, in a roundabout manner because they make her seem a lot more stable and you know composed, or at least her side is my opinion. Uh, but furthermore, um, I am also very interested to see how the future meetings and what have you play out with uh, Tsai Ing-wen and so on and so forth. So that'll be exciting. Uh, it's also worth it to note that uh, Ma Ying-jeou's, you know, who's currently in China, his meeting in China is, I think, is supposed to outlast the one with Tsai, right? So they can react. Well, I just saw a rumor on Twitter. It's nothing more but a rumor right now, but it says if um, Tsai Ing-wen indeed meets Kevin McCarthy, then like the same day, Ma Ying-jeou will have a meeting with Li Qiang, the Chinese premier, just uh, to counter it. So let, to... let's keep our eyes open to see what happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Klaus, are you concerned about the meeting with McCarthy and China's reaction to it? Because, of course, we live here. Well, there are reports that the uh, U.S. military is on standby and uh, closely monitoring the situation in a way that they last did... Uh, last uh, August when Pelosi visited. 
this time the situation may be a little different. I mean, the meeting is not going to take place in Taiwan, so it would be possible to frame it as a lesser provocation. Also, they can't really pull off the, the same trick twice. And there have been some state visits announced to Beijing by um, European leaders of state and uh, some others, and also Ursula von der Leyen, the EU the chief of the EU Commission. And um, apparently they have announced that should there be military acts of provocation again, they would cancel those state visits. So all this might factor into Beijing's decision on how to react here. I also need to point out this entire situation was of Beijing's doing. They threatened McCarthy from coming to Taiwan. So he said, fine, I can't go to Taiwan to meet uh, President Tsai, then she'll yeah. come to my house. Right. In a way, they already made that point, right? Yep, they did. And moving on now, and of course, we'll talk about Mr. Ma Yingzhou in China. He popped off there earlier this week for a 12-day visit. And he, well, some might say he's been putting his foot in his mouth since he arrived there. But others might, well, be defending the former head of state and what he said. Now, Ma mentioned the Republic of China by name during a public statement at a visit to the Sun Yat-sen Mausoleum in Nanjing. And speaking outside the Memorial Hall, Ma said it's been 112 years since Sun Yat-sen dedicated his life's work to ending more than 4,000 years of imperial to found the Republic of China, the first democratic republic in Asia. And he went on to say that people on both sides of the Taiwan Strait belong to Chinese ethnicities and have benefited from Sun's doctrines regarding the founding of the ROC. However, he then expounded on that by saying he believes the two sides of the Taiwan Strait make striving for peace to rejuvenate Zhonghua a common goal, and the pursuit of peace and the prevention of war are the unavoidable responsibility of Chinese people across the Taiwan Strait. However, he said all that, but apparently China's state media censored all mention of the Republic of China out of what he did in both print and television coverage. Now, Ma then visited the Nanjing Massacre Memorial Hall, where he paid tribute to the victims of well, the Imperial Japanese Army. And speaking there, Ma told reporters that Chinese people on both sides of the strait must learn from the past and bravely resist foreign aggression. Now, on Thursday, he was in Wuhan, where he went to the Wuhan Archives Hall to see an exhibition about China's experience in combating the coronavirus pandemic, during which he praised the pandemic control measures taken by Beijing. Ma expressed his admiration for Zhang Dingyu, the head of one of the main hospitals in Wuhan, to deal with the disease when the pandemic first broke out in the city. And Ma said, under Zhang's leadership, everyone did their utmost to control the pandemic, thus preventing the virus from widely spreading, for which we have a deep admiration. And he went on to say that it's not only a contribution to China, but a contribution to humanity as a whole. Now, Ma also met with Beijing's Taiwan Affairs Office director, Sung Tao while in Wuhan, where he stressed adherence to the 1992 consensus. Ma also said during that meeting that he believes that communications between both sides of the Taiwan Strait should remain open to ensure peace and stability, Sean. I think Mind Joe is on an attention-grabbing tour by saying every single con controversial thing he can think of that would really... I, I, I feel like he's purposely kind of done this to try to upstage uh, Tsai in every single way, Tsai's visit to the USA. Uh, and the reason I feel this way is because, um, you know, so many, for so many controversial political topics... He's brought up. Um, I, I don't know how far at length we, we should go about this, but um, the, but I personally feel his comments on the Wuhan thing was rather uh, in bad taste. The reason is because, um, as we know, COVID has spread throughout the whole entire 
uh, world and millions died uh, to praise China, to say they handled it well, and so on and so forth is hard to imagine. Uh, you know, at some points I was reading his comments and I was wondering if, you know, he's on this planet. Uh, another potential problem I see is that, you know, there are the elections coming up in Taiwan and him uh, reminding everybody, you know, the KMT's uh, very Chinese ethno-nationalist roots is not appealing to to many younger people in Taiwan. It really isn't. Uh, and, and this kind of language and him being part of a rather powerful faction within the KMT is going to turn certain, uh, I would say, uh, middle road or, or, or not middle road. The word I'm looking for is maybe uh, moderates. It might turn off moderates uh, uh, and make them vote for somebody like Lai instead. So uh, do I know if Mind Joe is cognizant of this? I think he definitely lives in his bubble uh, to be able to say these kind of statements that definitely, you know, do not have mass appeal. Well, he also met with the head of China's Taiwan Affairs Office an actual high-ranking official, even though before the trip, he and his camp really stressed that this was a purely private trip and things like this were not going to happen. So they let's say they um, purposefully misled the public here. But in general, I mean, we have to remind ourselves, it's fascinating to follow each and everything he says there. But uh, this is a retired private citizen going on a private trip. And he has um, no no official role in Taiwan anymore. It can be argued that he doesn't even have a lot of clout in the KMT anymore. So um, I can totally understand that a lot of people in the pan-green camp, and not only there, are annoyed by what he is saying there right now. But the more importance we attach to this trip now, the more it deflects from the actually important trip that the current president is making in, in the US. And um, well, I think if if my angel is like the the best asset that the uh, that Beijing has at this point to bring into play, then they will really have a hard time convincing anyone of anything. Because, as you said, um, he, my angel is not going to convince any Taiwanese voters who might be sitting on the fence to say, "Oh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe the KMT is more more acceptable than I thought." Oh, yeah, indeed, especially since the elections in, in context, a lot of Taiwanese will believe that it is for in, uh, international relations and what have you. You know, uh, the last election was more about local affairs. This one might have more about international affairs. And I also thought another thing, which is if Taiwan has a gaffe or some sort of gaffe occurs, Mind Joe's statement is just going to suck the wind out of that and all the attention from it. So in a way, he is inadvertently acting as a shield for Tsai because, you know, if she makes any mistakes or so many mistakes come, you know, upon her or her trip to the States, people are going to be talking about the silly things Ma is saying or inopportune things that Ma is saying instead. So I don't know if this is a wise choice, but I will believe that even the KMT might have, uh, uh, you know, party elders might have some, uh, might be raising some eyebrows on their side. So, Klaus, do you think I'll be having strong words with him at the KMT headquarters when he returns? 
I think he's at the point where they they cannot get around the fact that he used to be important in the party once, so they will not like publicly admonish him. But um, from from what I'm hearing, um, he is not having any major sway at at what's happening there anymore. I also would like to point out that he went to the memorial for the Nanjing massacre, which gave him an opportunity to appear tough on Japan, which has always been quite important to Mike Joe. So he really made sure to check all the boxes there. <laughs> and Sean, he did, of course, say, Sean, um, that both sides of the strait should continue with communications, have open communications channel for peace and stability, which I don't think anyone from either side could argue against. Yeah, it's it's a lot of... Um, I, I, the word I'm trying to hunt for is it's it's kind of shallow. Like it, it feels good if you are somebody who doesn't know anything about the situation, but it's said in a in a way that you know it doesn't have mass appeal either. Of course, uh, there should be more communication, but. Uh, in the wider context of things, with other things he said, it makes very little sense. For example, uh, when SARS occurred, China was infamous for not sharing full information on SARS, especially in particular with Taiwan, which caused, which resulted, the consequences were, you know, several people, especially doctors, died. So, you know, and the same thing happened during COVID, you know, as we all got to experience. So therefore, um, him calling for more transparency, I guess it's good. But the way he said it doesn't seem really directed at China. <laughs> it seems to be directed at the Taiwan government, which, you know, I think, again, is in rather poor taste, which is, again, why it got so much controversy and in the news. And it's just cover because if Thai's meetings go on with no problems at all, it goes smoothly and he just causes controversy, it really diminishes even though he's a retired private citizen, it really diminishes, I do think it diminishes somewhat the KMT's image of being, or the image they're trying to foster of being also capable of dealing with international relations on a very mature and competent and sensitive way. Also in the news reports in China about his visit right now, they really take care to edit out all the statements where all the bits in the statements where he's mentioning the Republic of China Apparently, that term you will not hear in the Chinese news reporting is also the former title president, of course. So um, talking about transparency from both sides, he can see for himself where, where that leads to, how far it gets him. And if those two trips weren't enough for you, then Terry Gore is currently in the United States, where he warned yeah. earlier this week at an event organised by the Washington branch of a Taiwanese business association against Taiwan becoming economically dependent on China, telling delegates at the event in Washington, D.C. that the island must pursue deeper integration with the United States and Japan. Now, although pundits are speculating that his visit to the U.S. is part of Gore's efforts to seek the KMT 2024 presidential nomination, he did tell business association members that economic issues and not politics are the focus of his trip. So, Sean, we've got KMT man Maing Joe saying all these things about going to the Nanjing Massacre Hall, saying warning against foreign aggression, obviously aimed at one particular country there. And we've got Terry Guo, who's obviously looking to run for the KMT again, possibly, maybe, telling people in America that the United States and Japan should be the focus of Taiwan's efforts and not China. 
well, geographically, he happens to be in the United States. So I do believe that that is something he might say. You know, um, a lot of people who run into politics or go into politics may say different things depending on where they're at. Uh, do I believe that he's correct and that Taiwan should diversify? Absolutely. Uh, but then, you know, there's the hairy mess that we know from uh, like TSMC and so forth and his own company. The company he founded about how easy it is really to let's say move some manufacturing to the United States uh, because there's a whole lot of issues from cultural labor laws what have you uh, that makes that quite difficult to eat at the added cost in wages and what have you is another factor then there's supply chains you know uh, how many of these companies you know let, let, let's use TSMC as an example TSMC, in order to successfully build their Arizona plants, will need almost 100 Taiwanese suppliers there to move over there along with them in order to be able to manufacture uh, uh, chips. And it is the same thing with, that's essentially what he's asking on a smaller scale of all these businessmen. So um, do I think his warning makes sense? Yes. But is, is it there? Is it something revelatory? No. Do I think it might make him look a lot more mm, open and different from some of the other uh, KMT politicians that just keep insisting on putting all our eggs in the China basket? Yeah. I think we haven't even mentioned uh, the name of his of the company that he founded yet. I mean, uh, Terry Guo founded Foxconn or Honhai, and for decades he has been the prime example of uh, Taiwanese businessmen putting all their eggs in the Chinese basket. I mean, Foxconn used to employ or maybe still does like a million workers in China, and this guy. He's not running the company now anymore for a few years. But this guy coming out now and saying, oh, yeah, it's, it would really be good if we would diversify away from China. Everybody can judge for himself how, how credible or how convincing this is. Also, if he is really planning to take a shot at the presidency, my feeling is next presidential elections, even less than those in uh, 2020, will be decided on the economy. So it's not it's the economy stupid this time really it's uh, the politics that's going to play a major part and china made sure of that yeah and also terry go go is running out of time i mean he's 72 years old he's not a spring chicken anymore uh so and i wanted to just add that um him Maybe mentioning this, some part of me thought, hey, maybe it's because he's no longer running Foxconn and how beholden he was to the PRC government, or at least appeared that way uh, before he stepped down from running the company, that he, maybe he could say those things. I do feel that a lot of Taiwanese businessmen or those that I've talked to have privately said that, you know, that have interests or a lot of investment in China have said that they do wish, you know, to diversify because they don't see uh, this thing going on forever. Um, they do see that there's a possibility of instability, but also other reasons, simply because the wages in China have increased to the point where it's many times higher than the rest of Southeast Asia or, and, and you know, new 
uh, advances in manufacturing has made it poss- possibly possible to manufacture in more expensive nations too, uh, along with a whole other factor like oil, gas stability for transporting uh, uh, products and what have you. So uh, there's a lot of factors to consider, but uh, I do think uh, Terry Go, of course, is saying all this stuff in order, uh, I think, to promote himself. It's nothing really new. It's obvious. But as Klaus said, kind of funny when he is the poster man for throwing all your eggs in the China basket. And we have to take a short break now, but we will return after these rather important commercials. And welcome back to Taiwan This Week. And the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here had a rather busy week. It all began when Honduras and Taiwan formally severed diplomatic relations with each other after much talk of such a move for the past, well, it seems like a decade, but it was only, in fact, about a week and a half. Now, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs on Monday announced that it issued notice ordering Honduras to vacate its embassy in Taipei within 30 days, following its severing of ties with Taiwan in favour of China, while Honduras's Deputy Foreign Minister announced that he was filing notice requiring Taiwan to vacate its embassy in the Honduran capital on Saturday. Of course, the ministry has made great play of the fact that the divorce was due to Taiwan refusing to pursue dollar diplomacy. But on Thursday, it was facing questions concerning the government offering 23 million US dollars to Ghana to establish bilateral relations. Now, speaking to reporters, ministry spokesman Jeff Leo sought to avoid a direct answer to questions about the allegation, saying it was always been the job of Taiwanese diplomats posted overseas to meet new people, to form friendly relations and to use all possible resources to expand our international presence. And he went on to say that Taiwan only proposes projects that are beneficial to the people of a country with which it wishes to make friends. And if all that wasn't enough to keep the foreign ministry busy, it was also forced to refute a report claiming that Taiwan had stationed troops in Tuvalu. Now, the report cited unidentified sources as saying some 1,000 Taiwanese Navy and Marine personnel are stationed on the South Pacific Island nation. Now, the foreign ministry called that report absolutely false and warned the media on the merits of verifying information before publishing articles. Now, that was in fact the second time this week that the Foreign Ministry was called to make the local media, well, maybe look at how they report stories. As on Tuesday, it came out and denied reports claiming that Taiwan has been providing directly drones to the Ukraine. Now, that came after several local media outlets began citing unverified information from the Twitter, claiming that Taiwan has been providing Ukraine with nearly a thousand drones shown oh, okay i'll talk about the drones thing um yes taiwan does manufacture uh, military use drones including several models that could even drop multiple motors eight instead of two or one uh so there are some advances there whether taiwan is shipping them directly to ukraine i don't believe that there's no evidence that shows that could be the case however there have been rumors that they've been sold to other countries like poland which then does whatever it wants and forwards it to the ukraine under the table that's quite possible that happens things like that may not necessarily be made public as a uh, you know criteria for purchasing said 
uh, weapons. Now, does Taiwan export arms? Uh, yeah, they do. They have a, a weapon similar to AR-15 that they export to the U.S., for example, that has been well-received. Uh, things like that. Of course, it does happen. Many countries export weapons and arms, but a thousand is a rather high number. Uh, and um, given that there is not exactly concrete data on how many Taiwan has, I would imagine that Taiwan would also like to keep these drones for some of their, some of them at least for their own use. Um, you know, having a thousand would also imply that Taiwan has a lot more of these drones than uh, is publicly known. Uh, and of course, Sean, a thousand was the round number of troops on Tuvalu. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe somebody's confusing the drones with the so troop. Ah, who knows, right? Um, but it, the, I it, look something like that is, is also very unbelievable. Yeah, uh, to think that Taiwan has some bases now abroad, essentially. Or I mean, or what Belgium. did these rumors even say? Because I I wasn't aware of them. Did they say those troops are stationed there like as a permanent they're... presence, or like for training purposes, to for beach warfare or whatever? Stationed. Stationed. Mm. That was the, that was the ego. Oh, sorry, the social media for you. <laughs> So, of course, Klaus, there was a 23 billion US dollars to Ghana. And that came out, of course, a week after the government said, we don't carry out dollar diplomacy. I mean, this, actually, this story, I believe, sort of actually began in a Chinese language news outlet in Cambodia and then spread. Mm. And then an opinion piece in the United Daily News newspaper was the one which led journalists here to mm. throw questions at the ministry spokesperson. Well, I really have a hard time believing that anyone in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here would see a chance in like reversing the tide or getting back some diplomatic allies or pulling new ones over to Taiwan's side. I, I really cannot think this would be any official policy and those dollar diplomacy stories they tend to come out pretty easily and then they will make you look bad so if if this really happened it would have been a stupid move but sean i mean the question here is that the media have been reporting these tuvalu ghana and drone stories as if they're real basically basing their entire stories and opinions on social media i i feel like this is one of the dangers um you know none of these stories as far as i know at this moment of speaking i have seen any concrete information backing this and then hearsay being spread around is a major problem uh, i do want to also point out that uh, uh southeast asia does does have a lot of media groups as well as uh, misinformation groups that are paid to spread all sorts of information. Uh, it's been noted in the past uh, that, you know, sometimes they would get increased traffic from Vietnam or, or you know, Cambodia and, you know, spreading misinformation. Uh, uh, and, and these reports, this might just be one of those kind of things. Uh, we just have to be skeptical. I'm not saying that all, you know, Chinese language news coming out of Southeast Asia is not to be trusted. But I am saying that, you know, given wild claims requires some pretty hard evidence backing that up. We don't have we haven't seen any of it. So I do find it concerning that uh, Taiwanese media has reported it as pretty concrete, uh, pretty concrete. I have to say that uh, these are 
things that uh, uh, can really hurt. I, I do understand that in the past I've seen news stories where they say, oh, you know, something something's really popular in the United States or something's really popular or really hot in another country. And then I look at it, I'm a little skeptical. I Google online, I can't find any corroborating evidence. And, and it's just, it's no good because what if next time it's something that spreads panic, right? Uh, I do want to bring up that when it comes to Taiwan, uh, I do feel that the international media also has major problems. Uh, yes, we are, you know, for example, the Telegraph recently posted a story, a title that made it sound like Taiwanese to the, to the unknowledgeable reader that Taiwanese were fleeing, uh, uh, you know, because the internet cables got that cut. That was Jingman. Taiwanese flee Jingmen because there's no internet. Uh, yeah, actually, they said it was a remote island. You know, Taiwanese flee remote islands, and most people, you know, and it was based off, the article admits, a single 80 year old man making a joke. And I find that very concerning because, you know, if you're an investor and you see things like this, and if you are, you know, a business person and you want to invest in Taiwan and you hear stories like this, you'll be less inclined to do so. So I do feel there's real, real, uh, consequences that we can't see that may happen in the background because of that. And these news stories, I do know there, I have seen students right online that they're too afraid to come to Taiwan because they're afraid a war is going to start. They're afraid Taiwan's going to involve themselves in Ukraine in in a more militaristic matter or, or so on and so forth. And so I feel that th there should be a responsibility, a national pride, so to speak, to help defend Taiwan by being more accurate about media reports. And of course, Klaus, you work for the international media. Yeah, I have a little a current example based on my own experience. So um, a few days ago, a documentary was screened on a French-German TV station that me and a few other guys in Taiwan really spent a lot of time working on. The director came over from Germany, but um, we made sure he would talk to interesting people and understand what's going on here. It's a good documentary, like almost an hour long. And then the TV station... The working title was She's Endgame uh, Taiwan something, which was okay-ish. But then the TV station changed the title to Taiwan Fear of the Invasion without any one of us who was directly involved that had any say in this. So um, it's, it's, it's really regrettable. And especially the headlines, international media news agencies, um, there are a lot of shortcomings there and people need to be more um, sensitive. Uh, people need to be made aware of what spin they are giving these stories. Of course, it is the headline writers, not necessarily the, the journalist that wrote the story. Of course, yeah. That's, that's one of the big problems. And moving on now, a rogue non-native olive baboon captured public interest here this week and also made international headlines after it ran loose in Taoyuan City for 10 days. Now the Taoyuan Department of Agriculture shot the animal with a tranquilizer dart after finally cornering it in a private residence in the city's Yangmei district on Monday. Officials say the baboon was treated on site for serious injuries that had been sustained prior to its capture, but it died as it was being taken to the Liofu Village theme park in neighbouring Shinzu County for further treatment. It later transpired that the animal had died from a gunshot wound to the chest. Now, questions were immediately raised as to how it had stained a gunshot wound. A hunter came forward shortly after to admit that he actually shot the animal. And there the plot thickened, as police leaders to say were quick to open an investigation to determine why a firearm was discharged during the search for the animal. Now, the Leofu Village theme park had for the entire time been denying reports that the baboon was one of their animals that had escaped. But late Wednesday and again on Thursday, the 
the park finally admitted that it did belong to them and it said, well, we're pretty sorry for causing public distress. Now, the senior supervisor of the said Leofu village, well, he was mobbed by reporters on Thursday and he said it's yet to be determined how the animal escaped and the delay in admitting that the baboon was one of their animals was because police had been questioning the park's vets. Now, the theme park also strenuously denied reports that it had instructed the hunter to shoot the animal. So, Sean, I mean, you've been to the Leofu Park and you told me before the show started they have literally hundreds and hundreds of baboons and other primates, so which could be reason they couldn't actually decide that one had gone a run around. Oh, uh, so I need to preface this by saying that I went to the zoo some quite many, many years ago. So they have renovated. Maybe there's less uh, baboons there, but I... Re- I look... No, no, there's one less, yeah. No, there's one less. <laughs> but, but I've been to many zoos before, but one thing stood out to me during their, um, you know, they have this car that's like on a track or something. But anyway, uh, was that there was this sort of like artificial, I guess, landscape they had. And it surrounds you. And the, the car sort of drives around this, this park, uh, you know, by itself. And I remember seeing at least a hundred baboons it felt like more because they were just strewn all about around you it, it was kind of busy you know uh think of yourself at, at like central park or a busy park somewhere in the city and there's just lots of people around that's what it felt like except they were all baboons just doing their baboon things um i and i remember my friend at the time asked me how do they keep track of all these animals if they're all pet if they're all fed and what have you and i'm like good question and now we know the answer is they probably can't. They're running all over the place. So uh, I, I'm pretty certain Liofu didn't even know they were missing a baboon in the first place, which is why it took so long for them to even admit it. They, that's why they didn't even report it. Because when you're surrounded by 100 plus, what feels like much more hundreds and hundreds, you can't keep track of that. Yeah, apparently they even say the reason they don't microchip them or they... Even now, they would not want to microchip each and every animal. Is because it would be uh, inhumane because they would need to be tranquilized. Okay, which, get, getting shot in the chest with a shotgun is pretty inhumane. Klaus, really. <laughs> well, or was it a shotgun, actually? Yeah. Oh, um, Yeah, well, I mean, one of the reasons this story got so much traction, apart from the fate of the poor old baboon there, was um, that it really shines a spotlight on how in Taiwan, if you don't have really clear rules and regulations, SOPs that can be followed. Uh, there can be a confusion as to who is responsible for doing what, and then um, there's maybe a lack of competency to make the right decisions at the right time, and then you have a snafu like this where two regional administrations plus a theme park, everybody is running around trying to keep a lid on the situation. Nobody wants to admit any fault. They um, don't want to admit that it was their animal. Then who hired this hunter that came out? I, I didn't even know there were professional contract hunters in Taiwan. I mean, I want to know what kind of weapons does this guy use? Uh, how can he legally have them? Where does he keep them? What what other jobs has he been hired to do? That's, that's what I really find interesting now. But um, altogether, it, it just shines a really bad light on Taiwanese administration, if things go haywire, they go really bad. And of course, mm. Sean, it could have started an outcry about public zoos, but of course, the Leofu village gets a bit of assistance from two government agencies. Ah, yes, monkey business. Uh, so a lot of this, uh, 
<laughs> a lot of this, uh, uh, and and because it's also run by the Ministry of Education, and this was news to me because apparently it's a very educational thing. Zoos are, uh, and so as well as you know the agriculture, uh, it's kind of a mess because who, who where does one jurisdiction end and the other one begins? And we're about to find out uh, as they point fingers back and forth. Uh, I, I do think that uh, some might say that these zoos may need more funding, more competency, more. Uh, but I can just imagine, uh, you know, running, just taking care of one exotic animal is very difficult. Having, you know, literally hundreds of or, you know, over a hundred baboons running around all over the place uh, uh, is very difficult to track. It just is. There's no way to to easily uh, do this. Uh, many of the other zoos I've been to around the world, I've never seen, at least personally, I've never seen that many. I've been to like Singapore's Night Safari. I've been to the Berlin Zoo. I'm not a zoo aficionado. It's just happens to be when you're traveling and you just need something to do that might be something to just check out so i in the end um it's a tragic incident but this whole entire thing is 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 ending up kind of like taiwan's version of harambe uh which was the 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 great ape that was uh uh killed in the united states and then in popular social media they're saying that's what led to all these crazy things happening in our world Uh, that's when we entered the alternate universe and there's some been, been some jokes that maybe the death of this baboon might reset things or maybe we might even go even further into uh uh this crazy chaotic world we Living. One thing worried me though, Klaus, when I went to the Liofu theme park come Safari Zoo website. They also have tigers. Oh, didn't they watch Tiger King? <laughs> well, you know, that was a bit one of them. One of them could escape. That'd be slightly different than a baboon. Yeah, this would be major headlines that would like blow out all the Tsai Ing-wen, Joe, Terry Guo in in America or China stories. Definitely, we we would be talking about nothing else. And that's what we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined in the studio today by Klaus Badenhagen. Always a pleasure to meet you, Gavin. And Sean Su. Always fun to be back. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week. Here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on your favourite podcast app where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.